The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. I almost forgot my name there for a moment. That's why there was a pause. I mean, I'm glad you didn't. Yes. Um, if no you did forget your name, what would you call yourself? Uh, um... <laughs> I had a weird thing when I was younger where I, I, whenever I was playing like a game, like playing like The Sims or something, or even just playing like Zelda, and I could input my name, um, I would always put in Rick, like, and and I had this whole like thing where Rick wore like Top Gun style aviators, <laughs> um, and looked like an extremely cool seventies dude. Um, this went on for like five or six years. Of me being like, yeah, Rick's my alter ego. That's quite. <laughs> He's cool. That's quite cool. I mean, have have both personalities merged now? I like to think so. Or do you think Rick's going to make a comeback in twenty twenty one? Hey, I'm Rick. My name's Rick. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I used uh, like from um, when was it? When we were watching Dragon Ball Z abridged. I took on the name Juan Sanchez for a while, um, and to, to the point where it was my name on WhatsApp. And I remember um, like matching with a girl on Tinder, giving her my number, and when she messaged me on WhatsApp and I replied, she was like, why is your name Juan Sanchez? And it caused a bit of panic, because because she only knew me as Rob <laughs> on <my> Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> You should have just been like, because you're only going to have one kidney after meeting me. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, if I, in retrospect, I wish I did that, but instead I, I, I also panicked and had to explain the joke. Yeah. <laughs> that's because you're a nice guy, Rob. Oh, thanks. So are you. Oh, I think 2021 is going to be the year of, the, of a, a kind of Paranet podcast. It's, I mean, I've already got positive vibes. We ordered um, we ordered a new broom, which is you know pretty exciting when you're about to turn thirty. And instead of one broom arriving, we have thirteen. So, if you what? want, I, I don't even know. I, I was like walking, walking back from um the shop earlier, and I got a phone call from Kerry being like, "How many brooms did you order?" Because, like, we thirteen arrived, and I was I was like, "How?" And I checked the order. We definitely ordered one broom. And like even on the description, it's like contents of box, one broom. So I'm not sure how we have 13. But yeah, I mean, if you want a broom, let us know. I suppose it's a very auspicious number, 13. Maybe, maybe there's a, a wizard out there trying to send you a signal. Maybe. I mean, yeah, it's all a bit weird so far. The last three days we've been in the new year. Weird shit happens. How so? Um, I can't even remember right now. Um, predicted the future on uh, the first, yeah. I hear this, we um, we ordered food, and I was like, oh man, it's taken like an hour and a half. Um, if, mm. if like the delivery status says delivered, I'll call them. 
and then five minutes later it said delivered and we're sat there with no food like what so call them up don't get through and Kerry was like oh this guy better show up in a minute and you better be fucking running up the path and then we notice him like five minutes later again running up the path with our food Oof. that's some wizard shit son that that is some wizard shit son and and with that, this is probably the most I've ever talked in an episode. It probably is. <laughs> You're normally the, the Alex Horn to my Greg Davis, just like putting the occasional comment in. Uh, I feel like I feel like we've had our mandatory banter. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um awesome. So uh Moving on to power networking. Actually, we haven't even talked about what we're doing today. So, uh, first show of 2021, the year when things get better. Uh, that's that's what I'm going for. Um, we will be doing power networking where we're going to talk about uh, Dresden Files cosplay uh, and a little bit about what Jim Butcher put out towards the end of the year uh, for for fans. Uh, and then uh, we're going to move across to the Dresden Files Book Club, uh, where we're going to talk um, about the next uh, four chapters of Summer Night. Summer um, Night. Summer Night. Uh, so that's uh, chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12, I believe. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. Okay, we're almost professional. Um, but before we, we start with that, let's dive into para networking. So uh, this week, what we wanted to talk about was Dresden Files cosplay, because oh my god, there is so much amazing Dresden Files cosplay out there. Um, just start searching, and you will find a plethora of incredible cosplay and not just harry and murphy who you kind of expect but there's some really crazy ones out there that always just like blow me away um have you seen any rob yeah there's i mean they did a competition i can't remember it was jim butcher's website but um it was back in like halloween i think where it was like the best costume gets whatever and i remember checking loads out then because I'd never, like, for some reason, cosplay just didn't cross my mind. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I think my favourite ones I've seen are usually the ones of Michael. Yeah, my, Michael Carpenter ones are, are always pretty strong. Like, um, the Templar get up with the uh, flannel checkered shirt underneath as well. Yes. There's some good, uh, there's some good Molly Carpenters out there as well. Let's have a look. <laughs> we're both doing it now uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah they're, they're a, um, literally just search Dresden Files cosplay and you will find so many uh, and Jim is really really good at putting stuff out on his site um, he actually has a section dedicated to cosplay um, he's run cos uh, cosplay contests he ran a cosplay contest uh, this year for uh, the release of his books, um, where we had some really great ones. We had the Earl King, um, which is awesome. Um, 
there's lots of love for dogs on there as well, which I'm sure uh, will definitely make some fans very happy. Um, and uh, there's also a couple of uh, Dresden as he appears at um, Bianca's ball. No, oh, yeah, like in the in the fake uh, Dracula costume. I quite like that. Uh, that's a fun idea. But yeah, lots and lots of really really cool stuff there. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. Um, and kind of with that in mind, what I want to talk to Rob about today is if we were to cosplay for Dresden Files, uh, who would who would we choose to cosplay as? Um, do you have one, Rob, or do you want me to go? Um, yeah, weirdly, I do have one. Luckily, you asked quite far in advance, so I had time to think about it. Um, yeah. Like initially, I was thinking Harry just because I've got a leather like duster in my wardrobe, which I bought when I was going through my first Dresden file phase. Um, but then I was like, nah, I feel that's too obvious. So I was thinking I would steal one of Kerry's scrubs from work, and then just pretend to be Butters. Damn cool. Throw some fake blood uh, on my hand and shit, and just panic a bit. I'm good at panicking, so <laughs> it would work. Yeah, I could see that. I could see you doing a good butters. Yes. Uh, I can also see you, you doing quite a good um, Thomas. Yeah, like, I was thinking Thomas initially, but I don't know, like he just because he's like described as being like chiselled from marble, I feel like I didn't pull it off because. You know, like lockdown. Lockdown has got me in like proper dad bod mode. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just picturing myself wearing like a netted, like vest type thing, and I was like, no, I can't pull that off. You've had moments where I think you probably could have. Um, you like. Rob goes through phases where he looks more or less like Jared Leto. Um, and I think in, in the, the times when you've looked more like Jared Leto, you possibly could. Yeah, this is the first and only time I've ever been compared to Jared Leto. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take that. I'm taking that as a compliment because the guy is like in his mid fifties and looks like he could be about five, ten years older than me. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, Rob, is you look really old for your age, you know? <laughs> Gee, thanks. Um, if, if we ever get into a position where we can do, like, live meetup shows or whatever, then we can all have a big debate about how Jared leto Rob looks. But I, I, I think there's something there. Especially when when you've had your hair like kind of long, but also like short in other bits. You know, you know when like you've got like the the long on the top, but then like the buzz cut at the sides kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like that was that was your peak Leto phase. Oh, sadly, I don't have his beautiful eyes, but you know, no, you have the eyes of like a very faithful hound. Oh, thanks. That I agree with. Yeah. <laughs> All of this is going on my TV. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so so if I was gonna uh, cosplay, uh, m- now my first immediate uh, like gut reaction is that I want to cosplay as Michael Carpenter. Yeah, Michael um, would have been my like first go to. Yeah. Um, that being said, I also really, really like the idea of doing a more challenging cosplay and going as River Shoulders. Oh. And being a a, a massive Sasquatch. That'd be good. <laughs> Just a huge hulking Sasquatch. Or or if I wanted to be a bit more scary, go down the, the Genosqua route would be very fun. Um, yeah, I think I feel like I, I would enjoy being a being a Genosqua quite a lot. <laughs> I enjoy seeing that, to be honest. So, do it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I think those those are my my immediate go to. Um. I don't really think I could, co- I could cosplay as Dresden. I've got the height, but I've got a bit too much girth. Uh, <laughs> I always see Dresden as quite willowy. Yes, um, I always imagine him as being a bit. You know, you know how like David Tennant is, like a bit. Yeah. Too like to like quite slim to the point where you think, should I be worried that he's not eating enough? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I get for Dresden, at least in the earlier books. Definitely, I, I've never seen him as like. I mean, he is he is described as being strong, but I always just I don't imagine him to have like a a big frame. No, I get what you mean. Um, like I, I see him more like a I don't know, yeah, like 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 a like 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 David Tennant build. Yeah, I think that that's a good one actually for it. Um, whereas I see Michael is like more of a Chris Evans Captain America build, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then the Genosqua and River Shoulders is more like a Hulk build, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, wouldn't mind doing uh, a Vatarung cosplay. Actually, yeah, do that. Do that one. That would be damn cool. I would. Uh, I would. would be- I would get you a fake beard for you to do that. <laughs> and an eye patch. Yeah. Um, I think you could do uh, quite a good Nicodemus as well. I'd like to see like, oh, just in a really sharp yeah, suit. Just get me some rope and I'll put a suit on and just be a smug asshole about things. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically all you have to do is Nicodemus. Yeah, just give me some rum, I'll drink a bit, and I'll just sit in the corner being like, yes. <laughs> well, you could do that, but if you did, I'd kill you and everyone you love. Oh, okay. Okay. I got the reference, don't worry. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think... I would love to do, if conventions are a thing in 2021, which they might be, uh, <laughs> possibly, 
towards the end of 2021, I would love to do a convention where, where we go as some Dresden people. I am up for that. That's now, like, my number one priority as soon as, like, things open up again. Yeah, that'd be damn cool. Because um, I haven't got anything else to it, do. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, I, moving on from there, um, getting into uh, the wonderful world of Jim uh, and all of his uh, brilliant stuff that he's putting out. Uh, he put out a great end of the year wrap up on his website. So if you want to get over onto uh, jim-butcher.com, uh, you'll see the Farewell 2020, um, where he's uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary of Fool Moon, which was New Year's Day, uh, only two days ago. Uh, oh, so if you want to celebrate Fool Moon's 20th anniversary, you can dive into our uh, our read-through of it um, once again and celebrate it with us. Um it's crazy to think that now he has two books that are 20 years old. Um, yeah, it's just, it's mental. Um, alongside that, he has also done um, his year of Dresden retrospective, which is everything he's put out this year. And oh my goodness, there is a lot. Uh, you've got like five pieces of microfiction, including one that he put out on Christmas Eve, I think, called The Good People. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, new novels. You've got uh, all. Uh, you've, you've got the new novels that he put out. Obviously, uh, you've got all the trailers for those and his interviews. He's put them all together here in one place. His Q and As. You can access all of them from here as well. Uh, all the merch that has been created this year for Dresden. A lot of it is sold out now, uh, but there is a couple of things that you can still get a hold of. Um, he's also put together all of his art spotlights, uh, including uh, alternative editions, uh, various short comic books that people have made, uh, the International Cover Gallery for Stormfront, um, the uh, a Dresden Tattoo Compilation, loads of really cool stuff. Then he's put his contests together, including the, co- the cosplay contest. Uh, and then finally, you've got the uh, other fun section, which I kind of think these are these are some of my favourites. So you've got um, his April Fool's Day plank, uh, prank, which was the improved VFX version of the, uh, I think it was the Peace Torch trailer. Mm. Uh, you've got the, uh, you've got Dresden Valentine's cards. I mean, that's coming up. That's only like a month away. So if you and your partner are, are Dresden heads, then that's a great place to go. Uh, you've got Dining in the Dresdenverse, um, which I'm not sure what that is. I want to find out now. Um, oh, yes, I do know what this is. We did talk about this on the show when it, when it came out. This is uh, a bunch of uh, recipes that are based on uh, stuff from the Dresden Files, including uh, Max Steak and Ale. So, nice. uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, and there you've got uh, a couple more bits of... Uh, yeah, uh, Goodreads, um, Paranet Pals, all worth looking at. Um, and then uh, Priscilla Spencer has given us a like, summary of the year, um, which I thought was absolutely lovely. Uh, lovely. 
um, including some behind-the-scenes pictures from when they recorded the trailer for Peace Talks and for Battlegrounds. So, oh my goodness, there is a lot there. If you want to get your Dresden on this month, it is a great time to get your Dresden on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there is also all of the international co- uh, covers for um, Full Moon, um, which are really, really cool. Really, really worth having a look at that. Um, I really like the UK and Canada one, which I have never, ever seen in the UK, but I'm going to keep an eye out for it now. Um, I've, it's I've kind seen of like them a, a few times, but I've only ever seen those covers like secondhand. But whenever I go into like you know Waterstones or anywhere else, they always have the dress like the covers that we already own, I guess, which are more or less yeah. similar to the um, yeah. I think. Yeah. Huh. Then I guess it must be an older imprint um, or something like that. Actually, yeah, but... maybe I think I've only seen those covers up to maybe like the seventh book. Yeah. They're like case files. Yeah, um, I mean, they look really cool. Yeah, I, I like that style. I, I mean, I like the current style as well, but that is a really cool style. Um, the Bulgarian one looks really pulpy. Um, and I'm not sure if it actually displays things that happen in the book by the looks of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember anyone with like a burning stick. <laughs> I mean, that could be a staff. With like Fuego, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Have you oh, look at uh, the Russian okay. one? Russian ones. Oh man, those are crazy. They're fucking terrifying, in a really good, in a really um, cool way. Yeah, so it's like a man being torn in two, really. Um, for the Russian one, it's it's crazy. Yeah, definitely worth having a look at. And that other Russian one, I don't know how I'd describe it. Just like. A furry skull? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... it's it doesn't enlarge. So, yeah, I go furry skull. Mm. The the Polish one is the one that gets used for uh, audiobooks. Yeah. That's interesting. About to point that one out. Um, and I think that the Hebrew one looks like it's comic book art. Yeah, or similar-ish. Yeah. So lots lots of really, really cool um, books, uh, book covers. Definitely worth going through. And it would actually be really cool to know what other people's favourites are. Um, which is your favourite out of them then, Rob? Oh, I quite like, I'm not sure if it's my favourite, but I quite like the uh, Estonian one. With the two werewolves like rush, uh, like wrestling on the yeah. shore. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, th- that. I, I think it's the one that catches my attention the most, just from looking at all of them. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think my favourite's going to have to be the uh, the UK and Canada one. I really like that 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 file look. Um, I'll have to keep an eye out for those because it'd be nice to get those. Um, yeah. I really like that. And I think my least favourite is probably the Bulgarian one because it just looks very generic. Yeah, probably agreed with you on that. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 
Um, so yeah, so lots and lots of great stuff out there uh, on Jim Butcher's side. Uh, definitely check it out and let us know what your favorite cover is. Um, be really cool to to hear that. Um, right, should we move on to the book club? Yeah, let's let's do this. Okay, so Justin Files Book Club. Uh, we are me and Rob are currently making our way through the Dresden Files series, reading every short story, every main novel, as much other extra stuff, card games, board games, role-playing games, comic books, um, anything else out there, any other little nuggets of Dresden-y goodness that are out there. We are trying to make our way through chronologically uh, and summarise, talk about, discuss... Um, anything that you might miss, uh, or any any fantastic kind of uh, literary uh, stuff going on behind the scenes uh, that that you might you might miss. Um, so this week uh, we are continuing with Summer Night, the fourth book in the Dresden Files series. This is our third episode into Summer Night. Uh, as always, we will do a summary of the last four chapters, and then we will dive in to the next four, and then do a little bit of discussion, lit crit, all that great stuff. Uh, you love it. We know you love it. Uh, that's why we do it. Um, yeah, cool. So, last time on Summer Night! Um, Harry and Ebenezer headed towards the convention centre for the meeting of the White Council. Ebenezer tells Harry to play it cool, and Harry lets Ebenezer go ahead, as Ebenezer doesn't want to be seen with Harry because Harry's in everyone's bad books. Uh, we meet Morgan again, like in Stormfront. He's hoping for justice to be passed over Dresden and shows his uh, and show his distaste that the council were lenient when, with Harry following the Shadow Man. Morgan has warhounds check over Harry for explosives or dangerous magic. He basically gets like a full, it 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 like, it's kind of he gets profiled like um like certain people at the airport I suppose. Uh, he gets like checked over in detail because Morgan's like, you're definitely doing something. You're definitely evil. Uh, once all that's over with, Harry keeps his cool, complies, does what he has to do. The meeting of the White Council begins. This is our first meeting in the entire series. What an awesome situation. We get to meet so many interesting characters. Uh, we meet the Merlin, who calls Dresden out in front of the entire council. In a move against Dresden, the Merlin intends to fill the senior council position left by Simon in order to control the vote against Harry. Ebenezer explains that when the Merlin attempts to attack a wizard within the White Council, or indeed when the Merlin attempts anything, he tends to have three plans, all working in tandem. The allies of Dresden decide that a more senior member of the council should be appointed, the most senior being Ebenezer. Ebenezer is appointed to the White Council, and the conversation turns to the war. Victories and losses on both sides. Council is trying to negotiate safe passages through the Never Nether. Titania, Queen of Summer, states neutrality and would prefer not to get involved in the war. 
Alternatively, Mab, Queen of Winter, has yet to decide her place in the war. The council declare that they've received a letter from the Red Court, one Count Ortega, who we mentioned in the last book. The vampires will cease hostility if the White Council hands over Harry Dresden. Bum, bum, bum. Moving into chapter six. Discussions get heated as Lafoye accuses Harry of working with the Red Court in killing Simon Petrovich since he trained Justin Dumont, who then trained Harry. So Lafoye is another member of the White Council's uh, kind of head court. Um, and uh, he is, to be honest, he's a bit of a brown nose and I'm, I'm not a big fan of him. Uh, but um, yeah, And neither is Harry. Uh, and yeah, he calls Harry out and says that Harry tried to kill Simon Petrovich because Harry did kill Justin Dumont, so surely he would want to kill Justin Dumont's teacher, Simon Petrovich. Ebenezer petitions that only the senior council have a say on this matter. With the arrival of the gatekeeper, the vote is three against three. A wizard sent to confer with Mab returns, stating that she will grant the council safety in the never nether on one condition. Harry and the gatekeeper talk where, uh, where it's revealed Mab is meddling in their affairs. The gatekeeper urges him to accept Mab's deal while also being weird and cryptic, as the gatekeeper tends to be. Gatekeeper urges the senior counsel to let Harry work with Mab as her emissary. The case is a test of Dresden's abilities. He works for Mab while also securing the council's safety in the never never. But should he feel the consequences would mean death. Dun, dun, dun. On chapter seven. As soon as the meeting comes to an end, Harry departs, now fully committed, though reluctantly, to helping Mab and investigating Ronald Raoul. Harry drives to Murphy's. If anyone can help him with a murder case, it's the Chicago PD. And in the Chicago PD, the best of the best is Murphy. Arriving at Murph's place, she is reluctant to let him in right away, throwing back to her attack in Grave Peril, where the Shadow Man went deep into her thoughts and her mind. She waits for Harry to cross the threshold, holding a gun in hand. This is because the Shadow Man took Harry's form in Grave Peril. And so she's she's scared of him. We get some Murphy history. She's not in great spirits. And after some prodding from Harry, she spills, revealing that she was once married and her ex-husband has recently passed away. Harry, in turn, tells her about his first love, Elaine Mallory, who was also raised and trained by Justin Dumont. She presumably died in the fire caused by Harry and Justin's fight. Upset and struggling to sleep after the attack with Kravos, Murphy has been drinking and popping Valium. Murphy takes a look at the Raoul case, offering to help, but makes it clear that if it is a murder, then Harry brings her into conflict. Harry reluctantly agrees. Harry heads to his apartment, sensing he's not alone. He prepares to defend himself, but waiting for him is a woman he knows, Elaine Mallory. Bam, bam, bam. Every one of these chapters is just like, it's a proper like EastEnders finish, which it, I know it really our, is. Our, yeah, our, our friends across the pond might not get, but uh, EastEnders is a soap, uh, soap opera uh, in England, and every episode ends on something like this. Um, and it's famous for um, the the theme tune of EastEnders coming comes in uh, when one of these things happens. Um, 
and the credits roll uh, and it, and it just feels very much like that in these in these early chapters um moving on to chapter 8 uh so this is uh harry and elaine talking once again elaine explains that she was under justin's spell she had become his thrall which is why she helped justin in his fight against harry she explains that during their fight justin's spell unraveled and she managed to escape finding sanctuary she reveals that she is the emissary of summer building up a debt with titiana titania titiana I know it, they say Titania uh, in the audiobook, but I I always feel like it should be Titana, Titiana. Yeah, doesn't I, matter. I I just go with whichever one comes out at the time. I think much with like uh, Ronald Raoul, I I can never get his name right. So yeah, Ronald McDonald. Um, <laughs> she is also trying to find uh, Raoul's murder uh, murderer with Summer believing that Winter is to blame. Harry tries to get her to come out to the council, and as if on cue, there is a knock at the door from Morgan. Dun-dun-dun! And that is where we ended on the last episode. Rob, do you want to take it from here? While I go and get a Coke, because my throat hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I I envy you. Um, So yeah, with chapter 9 we pick up where that knock happens. Um, there's a bit of commotion with uh, you know, Harry being like, shit, you need to hide now. Um, Elaine goes and hides out in the bedroom. Uh, door, I think, the, I can't remember if the door's fully closed or slightly ajar. But, um... I feel like she hears. Yeah, it's something like that. But, um, you've got mm. Morgan, like, you know, he's continuing to bang on the door. Um... Yeah, in any case, Harry opens the door and Morgan just starts antagonizing him. Like he doesn't even say hello. He just he's just stood there like, You disgust me, Dresden. Which, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, he demands he, he instantly like starts accusing Dresden, as he does. It's like his signature move. But he's demanding to know why Mab uh went to Dresden, um, personally trying to get him to work on this. Uh, task, quest, side quest, um, mission. Um, yeah, but uh, the reason behind it is Morgan finds this all too much of a coincidence, which, you know, is is fair enough, I suppose. Um, he also accuses Harry of being in league with the Red Court, and Harry, like, you know, does does this Harry thing of using his signature sarcasm and just starts, you know, laughing it off, being like, yeah, okay, whatever. And um, mm. Morgan reacts by, like, punching the wind out of him. Um, and this part I really like, and I, I, I don't think I paid enough attention to it on our notes, but he crosses through the threshold. Like, you know, the whole thing of thresholds, like we explained with Harry and Murphy in the previous chapters. Um, if... You know, if anything supernatural crosses that threshold uninvited, it leaves a massive chunk of power at the door. But something yeah. I really loved here was Morgan crosses the threshold, and you've got like Harry as an inter- internal monologue being like, "What a dickhead! Doesn't he know like he's crossing my threshold?" Not quite to that extreme, but then like Morgan just starts like waving some shit around, and then suddenly like the threshold is deactivated. Like, all the countermeasures, all the spells and stuff are just null, void. Doesn't work. 
and yeah. he's he's just chilling. But um, yeah, again, he 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 does the whole thing as before. He's like, you know, I I don't like you, Dresden, but I have some respect for you, which is as far as it goes in terms of having a compliment from this guy. Um, <laughs> but and he, he he mentions Susan and tries to use that to kind of make a case against Harry. Um, he accuses Harry of being a traitor and thinks that he's compromised and further kind of brings Susan into this saying that, you know, she was probably a pawn for the vampires all along. Um, Harry goes to lunch at this point. He tries to lunch at Morgan because, you know, it's not very nice when you're still guilt ridden and shit. Um, (laughs) and at this point, Morgan already has his sword drawn and he's ready to like proper, like defend himself and, Dresden stops at this point and he remembers the whole thing with Ebenezer in the previous chapters being like, you know, the, the Merlin's going to have like a three phase plan, like a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And Harry kind of deduces here that the door is open, there is likely another warden around, like Morgan wouldn't come alone, and it's the chances are very high that this other warden can only see things from like. Oh no! Like the entrance to the apartment, so he can see Morgan, and he'll see Harry going at him. So he won't have yeah. the whole scoop, I guess. But Harry deduces that plan is antagonize Harry, and then Morgan strikes him down in self-defense, and the other warden is there to back this case up. So Harry, Harry, like points this out to Morgan, who's a bit taken aback by. It. He's like, "What? What do you mean?" And then Harry basically tells him to fuck off, which I think might have been his exact words. I can't remember. I know he did say something to that effect initially. Yeah. But um, yeah, some something else which I didn't put in the notes here was um, as Morgan leaves, his his eye kind of catches the uh, bedroom, and he's he's just instantly yeah. like, oh, who, what's in there? Who's in there? You've you're seeing some vampire prostitutes, are you? Thought you'd have a little free piece. And Harry's like, it's freesome, you prat. Um, but I, I can't remember if he goes to approach the door, but wh- whatever happens here, like, Mr. is the one that bobs out the door and just kind of runs through. Um, yeah. Which kind of f- throws that off, I guess. And Morgan buggers off. Um, at this point, Elaine comes out from the bedroom. And after witnessing and hearing that, she's like, I'm not going to the White Council. I've. I'm not being treated by people like that. Like, nah. Nah, mate. So she she's like, <coughs> excuse me, she opts to just kind of leave and do her own thing and promises Harry that she'll be in touch regarding the case when there's something to report, I suppose. And yeah, then we go into chapter 10, where Harry is having a very erotic dream about Susan. I didn't really go into details because I didn't find it that necessary. Um <laughs> I, yeah. It's the I, usual, I, think, I think that pretty much covers it to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean erotic and dream should give you all the information you need. Um if you want any more information, read the book. Um but yeah the the dream ends with Susan like going full vampire and attacking Harry and he kind of jumps out of his dream slash nightmare and it, it's kind of that reminder again that he, he's guilty about you know what happened in the previous book and what's now happening to her 
and the whole thing of her vampirism like just haunts him. But yeah, in any case, he goes on about his day. He decide he finally decides to shower, you know, trim his like stubble or beard or whatever, tidies himself up a bit after looking like haggard as fuck for ages, um, before heading down to his lab. Um, while he's in his lab, again, we kind of get a bit more of a scene kind of demonstrating his guilt and obsession here, where um, he ge- he gives Bob like the rundown on the raining frogs or toads and all this kind of stuff, and then starts like rummaging through books and all this kind of shit, trying to be like, you know, we need to find a cure for Susan, and, and Bob makes it very clear to him there is no cure for Susan. Um, and you know, Harry again is just insisting all this kind of shit. But um yeah. Harry then goes on to the subject of uh you know, Mab and the courts and all that kind of bollocks. And it's quite interesting that Bob is really on edge at mention of Mab. Um mm-hmm. and he he's quite shocked to realise that Mab has gone to Harry and is now his client. Um and kind of, you know, after the whole thing with Lianchi in the previous book, Bob kind of goes out of his way to remind him, you know, you shouldn't get involved with the fairies. It's not... You're not going to have a good time. Which is completely <laughs> understandable. But Bob also reveals at this point that Ronald Rowell is, or what shall I say, was the Summer Knight. Um, which complicates the case a little bit, I guess. Um, at this point, Bob kind of gives a breakdown on like both the Summer and Winter Courts, as well as the powers behind the Knights. Um, uh, the power of like the Winter Queen, Summer Queen, is like given to the knight to kind of act as a, a what was it? Not bounty hunter. That's completely wrong. Muscle bodyguard, kind of do the errands yeah. in like the human world, mortal realm that the courts can't do themselves. Um, and it's it, Bob found it more interesting in the fact that. The power that was given to Ronald Rowell as the Summer Knight hasn't returned to its queen. Someone or something has stolen that power, and now balance of the universe itself is at stake. Which, you know, balance is needed, and the result of uh, imbalance is deadly, and could lead to another war, but a much bigger war than the Vampire War. Like I say, it's a bit more universal, I suppose. Um, existence is at stake. I, I, uh, if I learned anything from the Star Wars prequels, it's that the Force needs to be balanced, and Dresden is the one to bring balance to the Force. But you cannot train this boy. <laughs> Agreed. I've been um, watching a lot of Star Wars recently. Oh man, we'll, me and Kerry watched Phantom Menace the other day, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> um... Yeah, knowing that you need to be of a certain power level to take down the Summer Knight, Harry now has a bit more of a starting point and a list of suspects of people or you know those who are more capable of killing Ronald Raoul. Uh, chapter 11. Harry goes to uh, Raoul's apartment... Goes to Ronald Raoul's apartment building, uh, disguised as a delivery man, and I fucking love this chapter. Like he 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 goes there. He's got his wizard senses on, and he's like, you know, something something you know, just in case some shit happens here. Um, 
and he kind of realizes that he's not alone and he he notices the door to the apartment is half open so he's, he's approaching with his blasting rod there's a dude inside and i love how it's just it, i think the exact line is uh oh yeah the man inside looks like uh he could have been a model from from thugs or us yeah and the man is just kind of picking up items and paperwork and just stuffing it into a bag um harry immediately thinks you know this this guy's He's up to no good. He's clearly st- stealing evidence or you know, f- finishing the job, as it were. So <laughs> he goes to intervene, but then pauses when this dude casually lifts up a sofa. So Harry's then like, shit, I can't get a fist fight of this dude because he'll win. And he just kind of plays to the delivery man persona. He's like, just knocks on the door. He's like, uh, got a delivery here? And he's like, go away. I the man who owns the place isn't here I'm just looking after the place and he's like don't care I just need you to sign and then I'll be out your way and the man signs it and I think Harry at this point grabs like something from the bag um, quite sneakily but the man as Harry's leaving Harry has stopped and the dude's like something doesn't smell right I smell magic I smell a wizard Um, and a little fight breaks out and we get we we find out this guy is called Grum, or at least that's what he signed the uh, delivery papers with. And I love how casually he just kind of grabs Dresden and just throws him into the ceiling. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Harry at this point, he's put down his blasting rod, I should mention. So he's got like no weapons at this point, apart from a trusty little iron nail that he just jams into Grum's arm. And the result of this, he, he begins to transform from this noir style kind of thug into like a 12 foot gorilla creature an ogre in fact Ugh. um you know naturally harry's gonna panic i'd panic definitely but um mm-hmm. he manages to get his blasting run time and shoots a massive bolt of fire at it and it does fuck all like it, man he rolls a one like so hard um <laughs> and they kind of have a little bit of a, I guess, fist fight, scuffle, whatever you want to call it. But then, like, <clears throat> one of the other residents is like, oh, I said I've already caught the police. If you guys don't get out of here now, then you're going to be in trouble. And Grum's like, fuck. Reverts back to uh, his human disguise and then just, you know, takes out of there with, like, all the stuff he stole from the apartment. And mm-hmm. Harry looks at like what the uh, piece of paper they took from the satchel, um, and it's not um, paper as such. It's a photograph. It's a photograph of Ronald Raoul with four other people. Whew. And the answers to that will become very clear in just a moment, much like the French <laughs> Revolution. Oh yeah, chapter wow. twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I needed to pause to breathe. You know how it is. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, chapter twelve. Harry leaves the apartment just as the police arrive. He manages to avoid the authorities, which is pretty good for him because I personally think they're a pain in the ass at this point. Um, and he kind of casually drives away in the uh, blue beetle. Um. Harry decides that the the next point of interest for him is probably 
the funeral home where Raul's funeral is taking place. So he rocks up there and he's he's just kind of observing his surroundings, like you could say. And there there's no mm-hmm. shifty or shady figures around. The crowd are more more like ordinary people, like colleagues, friends, that guy I used to work with and all that kind of stuff in his civilian life. Um Harry kind of makes out he makes out a bunch of whispering, which, you know, causes his ears to twitch. Um, and the whispers are coming from a, a small group, and he's kind of like following them down the hall, just trying to like hear where this is coming from. And he, we overhear a character named Ace, and he announces the wizard is here. And the other one who he's whispering to starts to panic. Um, he he starts to follow them, and he follows them out like the fire exit, and. <laughs> He pulls out the photograph again, and the people that are staring him down are three of the people from the photograph. Fix, Ace, and another one. I don't think the third one, I don't think their name's revealed at this point, but it's like a young woman who's like, I think described as being quite quite like broad, uh, muscular kind of person. Um, And as as he sees them, Fix is like, oh oh boy, oh jeez, and Ace pulls out a fucking Tommy gun and the woman's like, no, no, not here. We'll draw too much attention. And without hesitation, she just proceeds to kick out Harry's ass and just sends him flying into a fucking dumpster, giving them enough time to run the hell away from him and avoid his questioning. Um, at this point, it's revealed that you know before Harry arrived, he called up Billy. Billy Borden. And Billy shows up like just in time to help him out of the uh, dumpster, and Harry's like, "Oh, do you do you have it? Did you bring the special delivery?" And Billy's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I got the pizza in the car." And Harry announces that he needs to make a few bribes, and he asks Billy, "Do you believe in fairies?" And that is where we uh wrap up this week's chapters. Yeah! Wow. Um, actually, a really great little set of chapters here. Uh, 11, 12, and 13. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, 11 and 12, particularly, go together really nicely. Agreed. Um, and are really good to talk about. I'm glad that they weren't split. Um, wow, yeah. Um, I really enjoy all of this. This is very classic Dresden, Dresden action. As far as I'm concerned, um, Morgan being on Dresden's ass, I, I love all of that. Um, it's very like noir cop drama. The higher ups are on my ass. The DA's on my ass. Uh, <laughs> you got to get your results. Uh, that sort of feeling, and also like the antagonistic kind of side uh, playing on their like animosity. I, I really enjoy that. Um, chapter 10 I there is something that I love about Dresden Files which the only other series I can think of that really does something like this is James Bond with Q where Harry kind of has this time where he kind of gets a knowledge download of everything he's going to need for this case, this mission um, and it's very much like when James Bond gets all his equipment from Q um and and I feel like chapter ten really we get to that, but 
what's really interesting here is we've had that in the last three books as well. And this one is just slightly different as at the same time, Harry is, I mean, he doesn't want to acknowledge that he can't save Susan and Bob's trying to help him get through that. And at the same time, Bob is trying to dodge around the, the fairy courts. He does not like them one bit. Um, we know that he's got a connection to Winter. We know that he doesn't want to be connected to anything going on in the Winter Court. So there's there's like, it's a little rough around the edges and there's, there's a bit more uh, going on in the scene than, than we'd normally get. So I really like that as kind of an evolution of that, that knowledge download scene with a bit more drama and tension put into it. Mm. Uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12. Um, this is just absolute classic, um, absolute classic, uh, Dresden action as, um, Dresden's kind of like on the case, doing his thing, uh, finding out, um, what's going on. Uh, and then I, I don't think there's anything more fancy noir, fancy realism than a thug who suddenly lifts uh, a fucking sofa with one hand um, <laughs> and then uh, turns into a 12-foot gorilla-like ogre. Um, uh, that's just classic Dresden action, and, and I'm here for that. Um, and then we get our, our kind of core cast for this uh, book um, all introduced when we've got Fix and Ace and the young woman who will be revealed as we go on. Um, all super, super uh, important. Um, and it's quite a good way to, it's quite a good way to kind of introduce them uh, with uh, the woman just like turning around and kicking Harry's ass. Um, and then who doesn't love Billy? I think that this is a, a solid couple of chapters. Uh, How do you find it, Rob? I really enjoyed it. And, I agree with everything you just said. Um, and to kind of expand on it, I feel this book and especially these chapters kind of made me realise this is around the sort of time where the series definitely finds its feet, I suppose. Yeah. Like from, from here on out, you've got that kind of set formula. I guess the, what did we call it? The uh, Dresden, no, the Butcher Avalanche. Where like, yeah. You're just hit with like cliffhanger after cliffhanger, and oh man, like I think this book especially I read so fucking quick because just every time you're like, oh, just one more chapter, you you end up reading yeah. like half the book, and before you know it, it's three in the morning, and you need to be up in like two hours. It's like links in a chain or something. Like it, it's so hard to step away from because everything just hooks into the next chapter and then into the next chapter. Um, and it keeps this really incredible pace throughout. There's, there's always like five or six questions that you have in the back of your head that Dresden's trying to answer. It gets to a point and I'm, I'm interested to see if it's this book, but I found it more, like, I mean, as we've mentioned in a lot of previous episodes, I started reading, I think, Changes Onwards for the first time uh, last 
April, I think, last March or April. And uh-huh. there would always be, like, you've got, like, your main plot, you've got a subplot, and then there's, like, a cheeky other subplot in there somewhere. And there's always, like, at least one of those pieces I always forget about until it comes to, like, the end of the book, and it's like, oh, shit. And I'm wondering, I, I don't remember that being as much of a thing in these books, but I'm definitely kind of excited to see if I forget any, like, I know, like, subplot as we go along through this. And then at the end of the book, it gets mentioned again, and I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I well, I, I think those layers do start to build up a bit more now. Um like going back to that scene uh, where Bob and Harry are talking about Bob kind of gives a primer on the summer and winter courts and, and what a summer night is hmm. um, in, in a lot of that. Um, like we, we know Bob's thoughts now a little bit on, on fairy and the fairies. Cause he talked about it in the last book. We know what Dresden is doing with, like trying to help Susan because that's continuing from the last book. Um, there, like, there's already three books of knowledge that this is drawing upon now. Mm. Um, so the world feels more fleshed out, more lived in. Although he does sometimes, Jim doesn't have to tell us uh, what the the basement looks like anymore. We should know what the basement looks like by now. Yeah. He doesn't, uh, and and the other side of that is that if he occasionally mentions there's a summoning circle in the corner of the basement, for instance, we we've seen that in use in uh, in Full Moon. Um, we've seen that uh, with that was that yeah, I think that was Full Moon with uh, Chauncey, uh, the the demon. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like we, the it feels so lived in and fleshed out that there's all these like small stories and questions going on. Like we never really knew what the White Council was until they come into this book, but they've been mentioned th- for three books and built up and built up. So we find out what the White Council is, but now we've got a, a million more questions. Who is the gatekeeper? What's his deal? Why does the Merlin not like Harry? What, like where's Morgan's crusade going to go? Um, so I think each book does, does does contain its main plot and subplots, but there's also all these little threads that weave their way through the series that create this dramatic tension in, in almost every single chapter. Um, there's something new to learn about the world um, and, it, and it will reference things that happened two books ago, three books ago, um, that just make it it's so dense and, and oh, 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 brilliant to get into. Uh, sorry, I, that, that's what I. It's what I love about Dresden Files, and I think you really need to get to to kind of this point in the series to start to feel that. Um, and it only gets it only gets better. Um, it's I mean it's a quality that I think a lot of people like about like the Marvel universe um, is very similar to this, where now that it's got so much so many films and moments to draw upon. Um, things have much more weight, like Captain America being able to pick up Thor's hammer. That has so much weight now because 
it has been drilled into us, or, like what that means and how significant that is. I suppose. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you think of Grum the Ogre? I I loved Grum, and I think I completely forgot about his character, to be honest. And I, I know, I know, as the series progresses, you you have a few more like beasties pop up that are, you know have some kind of resistance to magic. But I remember when I read this for the first time. At this point, all your antagonists and like goons and all that have more or less been on the more human side. Whereas yeah. this is like the first, I guess, ogre beast thing. Um, actually, I suppose you could argue the loot guru, but I mean, this is the first kind of minor, minor grunt, I suppose, where Harry gets into a scuffle, throws some like fat magic on it, and it just does nothing. And I remember at the time being like, oh shit, it's going to be like, like you have him fairly depowered throughout most of Grave Peril. And I think when I first read this, I was like, oh, it's gonna, this is going to be the new challenge. He has to kind of work without his magic again because this dude has mm-hmm. like magic resistance. And to be fair, I, I can't remember if that is the case or not throughout most of this book, but I know that Grum does appear again. Yeah, I, th- I think... Um, there's also like a power level aspect to yeah. things um, like I think uh, talking about like the loop guru is a really good really interesting here because in some ways Grum could have been like a loop guru sort of big bad enemy two books ago um, I mean yeah he's not as ferocious as the loop guru is but he's obviously more intelligent mm. Um and and has and and is like in some ways more of a threat because he has some intelligence and is able to sniff Harry out as a wizard and and all this, um, and and it just makes me think that like, yeah, this is something that Harry, that would have taken all of Harry's ability to deal with, um, just two books ago, and now this is just a minor villain. This is just a goon. For, for something bigger um, and we, we'll see this as we go through the, through the series because it happens a lot that the, the stakes get upped and upped and power levels get up and up and up um, as happens with any long series anime or whatever um, and yeah I, I think that this is the first time we really see that jump um, and we see how Harry has to has to adjust and change with it um i think this one's a really good one a really good story for that because it's less about harry having to deal with losing power um but more having to make the most of the power he's got um it's like in the last book everyone else's power levels stayed kind of the same but his went down whereas in this book his power level is the same as it's always been but everything else jumps up Mm. um and I think that that creates like a different, uh, a different challenge for Harry because um, it's almost like how are you going to still be relevant? How are you still going to make yourself um, imposing? I mean, uh, we see that with Morgan as well. Uh, Morgan almost uh, without thought is able to take down Harry's most powerful defenses around his home, his threshold 
and all of his wards and stuff. Morgan's able to just like crumple them like paper. And it's like, oh, okay, so Harry's actually not that good of a wizard at the moment by white co- uh, by white council standards. I mean, yeah. Morgan's just like an average policeman. I don't think he's he's not even like a head warden or anything. He's just like a warden, uh, and he is able to dominate Dresden absolutely. Agreed. I think that's something I really like about the series going forward. It, like I say, going forward, like since book one especially, is that you you kind of feel with each book he jumps a bit in power, but then like mm. someone like Morgan like walks in just casually into his like house through the threshold and just deactivates everything, and you're like, oh okay, yeah. <laughs> and something I, I, I like is, as we get into later later stories is that the why Dresden is is still so still relevant I suppose is that he's kind of the most powerful wild card like he's very much got his own free will and can do his own yeah. thing whereas ev- everyone that tends to be more powerful than him especially once we get into the later books tends to have more strings attached to their power and what they can do with it uh, characters like Mab, who we've already been introduced to in this book, um, can only do things in the proper manner, whereas Dresden has the free will to do whatever he wishes, pretty much, um, and apply his power wherever he wishes. And And I think that that was a really interesting way for Jim to go with the character, because it makes Dresden compelling, it makes him interesting, it makes him able to... Uh, like change on a dime which side he supports, where he is in everything um, without him being the chosen one, the god child, the um, whatever you want to call it, the Luke Skywalker um, of of this world he's not so much he's just the the, the guy that can, that has free will and mm. has freedom um, and that's why he's interesting, and, and I really like that. It's something that, and um, we'll get to the discussions around. I think it's Starborn and and stuff like that. Um, we'll 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 talk about that as we go on because I think that takes something away from from this. Oh, I absolutely uh, agree. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll 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 talk about that as we go. I suppose. Um. Cool. Yeah. So we've talked. We talked a little bit about the White Council uh, and how the Merlin has these has three plans at all times, and uh, Morgan is definitely one of these three plans. I think um, that's that's pretty obvious. Um, is there anything else you wanted to pick out from the council meeting? Not really. I think the major thing I wanted to point out. I mean, it has nothing to do with the council. We. We touched upon it in the notes, which is, uh, and we might have touched upon it already, actually. Bob's kind of rundown of, like, the summer and winter court, like, that's about as simply as it's explained. And I I still remember, (laughs) I think initially, like, the whole thing confused me. And I'm pretty sure now when I'm reading it, every now and then I have to kind of stop and remember how, like, the hierarchy works within each court. And what they all do. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's wild. Like you've got the you've got like Granny Winter, Mother Winter, Daughter Winter. Then you've got the the knights of each. Then you've got emissaries. Then you've got all of their sub creatures, and then there's the wild hunt, uh, which I don't think Bob even mentions here. Um, and one thing that took me a while to get my head around as well was the idea that summer and winter wasn't necessarily a display of morality. Yeah. Um, like the like there are good people on the side of winter and there are bad people on the side of summer, but summer and winter was a display of like natural disposition. So like summer people are kind of flighty and fun and joyous, but also in that kind of like trickstery joyous way. Yeah. Um, And winter people are cold and kind of, dark humoured um and brutal but then they also have that kind of making the best of the long nights like revelry they have a kind of grace like wintry like snowy grace to them um so it it took me a while to kind because it's very easy to kind of slip into i guess like Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Narnia kind of thinking where it's like the the Snow Queen and Winter are 100% evil and Aslan and Summer are 100% good because Summer's great and, and Winter sucks because I have to get up early in the morning. <laughs> Not that I don't get up early in the morning in Summer, but it, at least it's warm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I do think that Bob Bob's coverage of the courts is worth reading. Uh, if you have a copy of Summer Night or what have you, uh, or an audio book or, or whatever, um, it's a good thing to keep on hand. Um, another thing that I've, I've been finding on Audible recently um, is that you can record little snippets really easily um, and like go back to them. So, if you wanted to have like a, a primer on the summer and winter courts when they appear in later books or when they appear again, even in this book, this might be a good thing to have on hand because it'll probably only be like a minute, two minutes of recording on, on Audible and then you could bring it out whenever you wanted. I might do I that myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about Grum. Moving the plot forward and Chicago Noir. We kind of talked about moving the plot forward yeah. and that whole like the way everything hooks into one another and pulls you pulls you forwards. Um really Jim Butcher has definitely got into his stride in this book and and you just feel it with this this unrelenting pace is incredible. Um and Chicago Noir like we said, that that scene with Grum um, is just that's perfect noir, um, and and I, I just love the names being thrown around here, like Ace and Fix and Grum. Um, they're very like 
either noir or fantasy, and it's all beautifully mixed together into this delicious concoction. It's um, weird because with all their names like that, I'm always imagining like the cast of Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yes, hundred percent. Yeah, which is weird because I don't think they're described in any way looking like that, but it's still what comes into mind whenever they like fix Ace. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that you can you can just imagine them being like, uh, yeah, fix Ace, take him out back and give him some lead shoes, (laughs) kind of thing. Exactly. Awesome. Okay. Uh, then I think it's. Pro- I think we're probably there. Um, yeah. Unless there's anything else that you want to throw in? Uh, no, I think we've hit the main points that I wanted to bring up. Um, cool. Do you want to sign us off then? Uh, yeah. As always, thank you so much for your support. Um, do give us a like, share, subscribe, follow on. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you use. We're on social media as well. Our email is in the description. Um, let us know who you cosplay as as well. And if you've already cosplayed, send us a picture. Sounds a bit 100%. weird. Send us a picture of your cosplay. Um, next week we'll be doing chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 of Summer Night! Summer Night! <laughs> Um yeah, as as always happy well, happy new year and as always, crack open a can of Coke. You've been listening to the Paranek podcast with your hosts, me, Rob Davis, and Me, Patrick Learn. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye bye.